Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. For message notes and links to big things going on at Hope, check out the notes section below. When you're done listening to this episode, take a minute to follow us here, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content, additional resources, and more. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. How are we? Okay. Doing good today. But we're continuing our uh, series of talks that we've been calling Defining Jesus. And uh, that's something that our world just loves to do. They love to define who Jesus was or who he is. And um, if you ask anybody just on the street or around the office, um, they have an opinion of who Jesus is. And, uh, but we've learned that if you really want to know what's in the heart of Jesus or who Jesus is to his very core, you need to go straight to the source. You need to avoid everyone's opinions and go to the source. And what we see in the book of John is that there are seven instances uh, where Jesus makes statements about who he is. There's seven times where he just tells us plainly, hey, you're kind of confused. This is who I am to my very core. This is who I am in my heart of hearts. And they're known as the I am statements of Jesus. And so the first week we learned about uh, the I am statement, I am the good shepherd and I am the gate. Uh, Last week we talked about I am the light of the world and we've heard amazing feedback and just some really encouraging email about about what God's doing through his word. The I am statement for this week is a little bit different because it's less about Jesus and it's more about the father. It's really about how Jesus makes the father, his father available to us. And uh, if you had a good father, or a good father figure, uh, you just know there's certain times in your life, especially when you're going through a hard time um, where you just think, man, I I really um, need to call my dad, right? There's just some times where you would love to just have your dad nearby. I'm blessed to have an amazing dad, a phenomenal dad I'm thankful for him and I'm uh, uh, more thankful for him every single day. Um, But I know that that's not everyone. Uh, That's probably not even most of us. And if you didn't have a good father figure or a good father here on this earth, um, there's that, that there's nothing, that's nothing to be ashamed about. I want you to stick with me to the very end. And uh, I think you're going to be super, super encouraged. Um, but we might not have a good father or father figure in common, but we do have in common as an amazing, loving, a wise, gracious, heavenly father. And we're going to unpack that in a second. Um, but I was blessed uh, with a great dad. We kind of look like each other. If I was standing next to my dad, you would notice. You'd be like, hey, are you guys related? We are. Uh, we tell the same corny jokes and we laugh the same way at our own corny jokes. Um, But I think there was a season in my life where I wanted to be independent. You know, I was in my early 20s. I'm an only child. I'm like, I don't need my dad. I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to build my own life. And that lasted for, I don't know, five or six years, not very long. Um, But now I just call him all the time. Uh, As I get older, I reach out to him often. The car breaks down. I need to call my dad, right? There's a a financial crisis. Dad, you know, taxes are every April. I had no idea. I'm raising teenagers right now and I call him <laughs> weekly like, hey, how in the world did you survive like this season with me? I don't even need parenting advice. I need survival advice, right? So we go out to eat or I call him and it's just good to know that there is someone that's gone before me that has wisdom, that's in my corner, that kind of backs me up, that encourages me. And um, you know when I call him or, or hang out with him the most? When I'm going through a season of suffering, um, when I'm confused about life and I'm not sure what to do next. When, when, I, when I think about the future and I get a little bit scared, 
That's when I reach out the most. And there's just something about having a good father, like a wise father, a strong father. A presence of that father can kind of change some of the most difficult circumstances into something completely different. And we actually see Jesus do this all the time, don't we? Um, Before he starts his public ministry, his father gives him, he speaks it out loud, but I think mainly for Jesus himself to hear, this is my beloved son. Uh, of whom I am well pleased. And those are the words that Jesus clung to as he went into the wilderness and faced temptation from Satan. That's how he got through. And then when he did start his public ministry and times got hectic and people were beside him all the time and he couldn't find a free moment to himself, he would get up super early, sneak away, go into the woods and what? Spend time with his father. And on the most excruciating night of his entire life, literally sweating bloods, knowing that he's going to go to the cross in just a few hours. He spends the entire evening with his father for wisdom, for strength, for courage, for faith. And what we're going to see in our verses today is that that's what Jesus makes available to all of us. Access to the father, access to his father. And that access can change um, the worst season that you're in into something different. In fact, in our text, the disciples are about to enter into a very, very hard season, a season of suffering, a season of confusion. The I am statement for this week, it's found in John 14. Um, And I'd really encourage you to to turn in your Bible there. If you don't have a physical one, we'd love to give you one and start bringing it back and underlining and highlighting and writing in the margins. But our I am statement happens if you look at um, John 12 and 13, it's during the, the Last Supper. And so this is the night before Jesus is arrested. Uh, These verses happen right after Jesus washes the disciple feet. And it's just a normal every year Passover. This is a a meal that the disciples have celebrated with their Savior for the past three years. They're just kind of going through the motions. They're laughing. They're joking. But there comes a moment in that meal where everything changes and the mood of the the room just kind of changes. And, uh, and Jesus' uh, Jesus's face kind of turned somber. Um, John tells us that he, his, his spirit was troubled. And the disciples know this and they kind of turn towards him like, Jesus, what's up? And Jesus says, well, I gotta, I gotta tell you some stuff. Um, it's gonna be a hard few days, few weeks, few months. And uh, we're entering into a season that you don't really know a whole lot about. And so I need to tell you some hard things so that you can be prepared. And they're like, well, well what is it? And he's like, well, first, one of you like one of you, my, my closest friends, guys that I've, I've shared my, my, my life with over the past three years, one of you is gonna betray me. And they're like, betray? We're like a band of brothers. This is like a brother, there's a traitor in our midst? And he says, yeah, and, and I'm also getting ready to leave. And you don't know that. I'm about to leave and where I'm going, you can't go right now. So you're gonna be alone for a little while and you need to know that. And they're like, leave. Like, that's a change of plans. Like, we left. We left our homes. We left our vocation. We left our family. We left everything to follow after you, to be your disciples. And discipleship kind of only works if there's, like, someone to follow. And so Peter actually stands up and he protests. He's like, okay, maybe you're underestimating us, but wherever you're going, surely we can go as well. We have the strength. Like, we'll, we'll lay down our lives to get to where you're going. And Jesus is like, funny you should say that. Like, that's the third thing I need to tell you that, Peter, you're not gonna lay down your life. In fact, you're gonna save your life by denying me three times. And it's just bomb after bomb after bomb to their self-esteem, to their sense of identity, to their sense of faithfulness, to their sense of strength, to their plans, to their hopes, to their dreams. And the whole entire mood just changes. And Jesus being such a good um, savior, 
Um, he notices it. He's getting ready to be betrayed. He's the one being crucified. And in that moment, he notices that the, the disciples' hearts are getting troubled. They're getting stirred up. And so he takes off his, his savior hat for a moment. He takes off his sovereign king of the universe hat for a moment. And he just pulls up a chair and he begins to counsel them. Give them consolation. Give them comfort. And he says this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would, uh, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, what? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the I am. I am the way and the truth and the life. And I think most of us have heard that before or at least seen it on a bumper sticker. It's a pretty famous verse. But as I was digging into this text, I just had this feeling that probably, I, at least for me, most of the times I've heard this verse taught, I think a lot of well-meaning people have, have taken this verse out of context or out of the circumstances in which it was spoken. And it's kind of used as like a gotcha verse, like for evangelism or for apologetics, right? So the way I've heard it taught is the world says, you know, there's many different ways to get to heaven. Or the world says there's many different truths and you just have to find your own truth and own it. Whatever's true for you is true. And the world says there's many different ways to get the life that you've always wanted. But Jesus says, no, there is one way and one truth and one life. And he said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And that's true. That's absolutely true. And he teaches that elsewhere in the gospels. But I don't think that's what he's teaching here because he's not standing in front of a crowd of people that don't believe in him, trying to correct their theology. He's sitting at a table with his closest friends that are almost to the point of tears because they don't know what's gonna happen. There's fear, there's desperation. And so these words aren't so much a proclamation as they are a consolation. They're meant, they're meant to comfort people. Look what he says. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. That word trouble, it means to, to put in motion or to agitate back and forth. To like take something that's still and to shake it up. Something that was still a moment and just add all this turbulence to it. It's like life, life's just going well and it's going swimmingly and everything seems, seems like it's fine. And then there's that moment where, where the, the health scare comes in or the cancer diagnosis or the financial crisis, or the demotion, or the loss of job, or there's the revelation that one of your kids is going through something that you're just not equipped to handle. It's like everything was just smooth sailing and the storm hits and everything goes haywire. And what Jesus is saying is that in those moments, which will, you will have, you will have, you can't avoid them in this life. But in those moments, he's saying, don't let your, your heart be affected by this. Don't let the craziness, the commotion outside affect what's going on inside, which in a way is encouraging because Jesus will never command you to do something that's impossible. So apparently there has to be a way to maintain a still and steady and anchored heart even when everything out here is going crazy. But it's also a little discouraging because anyone an expert at that? I'm not, like I've tried it. I still don't really know how to do it. How is this possible? How is this possible? Well, he tells us. And it's the only other command in the entire passage. And it's gonna seem not helpful at first. <laughs> it's gonna seem like Christianese, like, okay, just have faith, whatever. 
but he takes the whole entire chapter to unpack it. Here it is. Believe in God, believe also in me. That's the key. Some translations say you believe in God, well, believe also in me. I think that's a better translation. Believe means to entrust or to rely on or to bank all of your hopes on this one reality. And so there's, there's something about Jesus and about who he is and about what he's done for us and about what he makes available for us that when we believe that as the ultimate reality, not all the stuff that's going on in our heart, it, in our world, it tends to settle the heart. It can, it can still the storm. Well, what, what do we believe about him that has the power to do that? Well, there's three things. And he's already told us the first. If you're taking notes, write this down. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way that takes us to the Father's home. Remember, these disciples are freaking out. They're like on the verge of tears. And the very first thing he decides to tell them is this. In my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, I would have told you. Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. What, what's he talking about? I'm about heaven, right? Talking about eternity, the afterlife. But notice he doesn't use those words here, does he? He does elsewhere. But those words aren't too, those words can be ethereal, like abstract, kind of hard to get our arms around. But when these people are suffering, he doesn't use that. He, he uses that word home. And home we get, right? Home we can wrap our arms around. Home, we understand. There's a, there's a power to that word home. Um, when I was, I graduated college and um, I was single. I was only single for like a year after I graduated. And uh, I crashed in a few different places. Not my car, like I slept in a few different places. One was uh, a summer camp when no one was there. That's a whole different story. And uh, one of them was, I, I slept on the couch in one of my friend's teeny tiny houses he shared with three other guys and that just wasn't livable. So eventually I saved up enough money waiting tables um, to get an apartment with one of my best friends. And it was an okay apartment, but it was two single dudes, you know? So we didn't own a washer or dryer. The, uh, the dishes would kind of pile up in the sink. Um, we only had like one little teeny tiny TV. We play uh, Guitar Hero all the time. And, uh, and we were on the third floor and we overlooked the pool. The, the building was this big U and we were kind of in the back of the U overlooking the pool. So we could hear every single drunken party until 3 a.m. every single night. So it wasn't the best place to sleep. But my parents lived 20 minutes down the road. So you college kids know, right? Often, probably once a week or once every two weeks, if, if it got bad here, I just, I just go home, right? I just get in my car, I drive there. I get a meal that actually had nutrients in it. Um, I'd wash my clothes. I'd get to sleep without fallout boy, like blasting in the pool area. And, um, and if you were to ask me in that moment, hey, hey, Chase, where do you live? I'd say, well, you know, I live there. I live in the third floor apartment right over by the pool with my friend. That's where I live. But if you ask me, hey, Chase, where's your home? I went, well, that's, that's not my home. My home at that point was where my parents are, right? And then eventually Jenny and I got married and from that point forward, we made a home. And, Jen, and where Jenny is, that, that's where my home is. And now it's where my precious daughters are. But home is not necessarily where you live. You can be passing through a place, but home is where you're loved. It's where the people that you love are and the people that love you are. Home is where you can let your guard down, where you can be yourself, where you're safe. That's where home is. And there's something powerful about home. Um, there was one time when I was living um, with my friend in that apartment where I, 
I got a little cough one winter, um, the winter before we got married, me and Jenny, and um, the cough got worse and worse over about two weeks, and I developed a fever, and then it got to the point where it was kind of hard to breathe, and so I went to sleep one night, and I woke up 18 hours later, um, and I felt like I was drowning. And turns out, I didn't know it at the time, but I had pretty severe pneumonia. And if I didn't go see a doctor within the next week or two, it was going to be really bad. But I didn't know that. Um, but when I woke up and felt like I was drowning, you know what my first thought was? It wasn't the, hey, roommate, take me to the hospital. It wasn't even call an ambulance. I can't afford ambulance, you know. But my first thought was I literally crawled out of bed, got my car keys, got into my car, and sat there and was like, if I can just get home, if I can just get home, then my parents will know what to do. If I can just make it there, then they'll take me to the doctors. They'll feel, I can put all this behind me if I can just get there. And I did. I, I made it there and they took one look at me and took me to the hospital and um, took some medicine. It took me a few months to get over it. Jenny got it somehow mysteriously. Um, but, um, <laughs> but that thought, if I can just get home, if I can just make it there, then I'll be safe. That, that's, what, that's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying to his disciples and he's saying to us, listen, if you're suffering, you have a home. And it's not the world that you're living in right now. And it's not the body that you're living in right now. And it's not the circumstances that you're living in right now. It's entirely different. It's better than anything that you can ever imagine. And believe it or not, you're gonna go there one day. It's a settled reality. If you're in Christ, you're gonna make it there. And he's, Jesus says it with such assurance, such assurance. He actually brings his honor into it. Did you catch that? He says, hey, I've told you about this before. I told you I'm going to prepare a place. Would I lie to you about that? I'm not lying. You're actually going to get there. This isn't like a hopefully one day you might get there. He's saying, no, 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 you can bank on this. He's saying, I myself am going to go prepare a place for you. I'm so confident that you're going to arrive one day. I'm making a room just for you. It's a great room. Got a king-size bed. You're going to wash the linen, set the towels out by the shower. Light the candle that you like. Men, set the thermostat to 68 as it should be. Right? Women, 88 or whatever. But when he says prepare, he's saying, I'm going to use my blood and my sweat and my tears. Literally, he's talking about the cross. He's saying, I'm going to die so that you have a place in my father's house. You think I'd go through all that preparation if I wasn't sure that you were going to arrive there? And he goes even beyond that. He says, unlike, you know, unlike me who had to get in my car and use my willpower and my strength to get all the way to my parents' house, when it comes to our Heavenly Father's house, you don't even have to make it all the way there on your own. You couldn't make it there on your, on your own even if you tried. And I think that's what kind of, we lose the allure of heaven sometimes because we think of heaven as this prize, as this trophy that only perfect or the top of the top people get. When the Bible, it's a free gift that only imperfect people get, see? We can't make it there on our own. And if you start thinking that it's up to you, that's when you get into trouble. That's when your heart starts to be unsteady and starts to get shaken up. That's what Thomas thought. He said, Lord, we don't know the way that you're going, so how in the world can we get there? God, give us a map so that we can strategize, so we can figure out if we have what we need to get there. And Jesus says, no, 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 Thomas, that doesn't matter. You don't need to have what it takes. You just need me and you have me. You don't need to know the way because I know the way and I am the way and you know me. And I'm not gonna leave you alone on this journey. He says, there's gonna come a point where you just keep taking steps. You just keep taking steps 
And before you know it, I'm going to come back. I'm going to grab you tight. And I'm going to take you to where I am. Where I am, you may also be. Isn't that amazing perspective? Especially when you're suffering. That you may live in this world and it might be going crazy right now. You may live in that body of yours and it might be failing you right now. But this world and that body and that pain, that is not your home. And I think a lot of our pain and our disappointment comes um, because we try to make this world our home. And it's not. And the sooner you realize that and the sooner you believe that, the sooner your heart's going to begin to settle. No, no, we have a way better home waiting for us. And that is where, if you think about it, that's where we're going to spend 99.9999 repeating a billion times of our percent of our existence, right? This, this life is just a blink of an eye. It's just a vapor that's here and then it's gone. One billion years from now, let's make it 100 billion years from now, 200 million billion years from now, you're gonna still exist. And all the suffering that you've gone through, although it's very real, and Jesus never downplays the legitimacy of the suffering that you go through, but it's just gonna be a blip on the screen. Like, are you facing suffering right now? Are you facing persecution? Are you facing relational turmoil? You're not, for, you're not gonna be forever. Is your body wearing out? Is it wearing down? Mine is. In the blink of an eye, you're gonna get a new one. It's gonna be an afterthought. And all these things in a million years, a million more are gonna be yours when you enter into the house of the Father. And Jesus promises that he's gonna take you there that way. You can get through a lot of pain. You can get through a lot of discomfort if you know it's temporary. And if the glory of the destination outweighs that momentary pain. That's what Jesus is getting at. He is the way that takes us to the Father's house. But here's the second one, write this down. Jesus is the truth that reveals the Father's heart. He says this, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you do know him and I've seen him and have seen him. But Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long that you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father? I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. And what he's doing here is so profound and I'm gonna do my best to explain. When you're um, in a season of suffering, especially as a Christ follower, there's often two things that kind of come up to the surface in your heart simultaneously. There's anger and there's, there's shame. There's anger and there's guilt. And there's anger that usually comes first and usually it's directed at who? It's directed at God, right? How could you let this happen? You might not say it out loud, but you feel it. How could you let this happen? Why would you not stop this? Why would you not protect me and my family from this? What good could possibly come from this? Like this pain, this suffering, this confusion. And you see it all the time in, throughout the scriptures. Man, the people in the Bible are bold. David is angry at God all the time. Habakkuk's like, how in the world can you use evil to accomplish your plan? But I see it in counseling. 
It's not as overt as we see in God's word, but it's there. And you might think it's anger at a person or anger at a situation, but you trace it, that root, all the way down, it's usually anger at God. But then shortly after that comes shame or guilt. And you start thinking, did I I do something to deserve this? What sin did I do for God to punish me like this? Or did I just get angry at God? Is he going to remember that? What did I just say to him in my prayer? I thought my faith was stronger than that. I thought I was strong enough to not be affected by this. And those two things, when they're kind of bubbling around in your heart, that anger and that shame, and when that's happening, you think of meeting your father face to face, that's a scary thought, isn't it? of going to your father's house? Like, how can I see him face to face after that? After that anger, after that doubt, after that lack of faith? That's what Philip vocalizes. He's like, can you just show us the father? Like, yeah, you've told us about him, but we don't really want to take your word for it. Can you just give us a sneak peek of what we're going to be dealing with after we finish this journey? And there's this idea that Jesus and the father are different, isn't there? That Jesus, I like Jesus. He's gentle, he's lowly. He likes hanging out with sinners. That's me, so that's cool. But the father, the flood, right, Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the father seems detached. The father seems a little harder to please. The father doesn't seem like he's gonna be friends with sinners. I had this friend growing up, and maybe you can relate, where I was the bad influence on him, like he was the goody-goody two-shoes. Anybody? Yeah. <laughs> I had a few like that. But I remember going over to his house, and I remember the look on his dad's face when I come over for dinner. And he's like, I don't really like you, but my son kind of does. So I guess I have to tolerate you for a little while. And a lot of us think that that's how the Father in heaven's going to look at us. right? But what Jesus is saying is, no, 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 no. You know how I kind of look like my dad? Well, so does Jesus. He's the exact representation of the Father. Whatever you see in Jesus, that's what the Father's like. And if there's one thing you can say about Jesus, what is it? He's good. He's good and he's loving. And Jesus proves, I mean, just just one look at him. Listen, when you finally face the Father, no matter how much anger you felt towards him, no matter how much, how much shame you feel in his presence, no matter how many times you've fallen down, no matter how many times you failed, he's a good and a loving father. And when you come into his home and he greets you at the door, there is not gonna be a hint of disappointment or regret. It's gonna be pride. And it's gonna be delight like my son, my daughter, they're here with me, that's what I wanted. One of my favorite hymns is how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. And yes, I mean, Jesus gets the credit. He's the one that laid down his life, but the Father loved us so much he gave him. I had flashbacks when I was writing the sermon of of this caricature I had of God in my mind growing up, and I don't know what it was, elementary, middle school, but I was, was always afraid of the last judgment. That's the real thing. And in my mind, I would just rehearse it at night. And I thought, you know, I would walk into an empty courtroom. And Jesus would be waiting there. And I'd be, he'd be like my defense attorney. And, and the uh, attorney and the, the father would be the judge. And what would happen over the course of, I don't know, days or weeks is the father would say, well, you know, Chase did this. And that's pretty bad. And Jesus would say, yeah, but my blood kind of covers it. And he's not that bad a dude. And, 
The father's like, yeah, well, what about this? Like, does the blood cover that? And so the father would be accusing me the whole time, and Jesus would argue him, and then hopefully, eventually, the father would be, okay, I guess I'll let him in. And that is not what's going to happen. When you read the actual biblical story, God's not going to be accusing you. The accuser, Satan, is the only one that's going to accuse you. And it's not just the son that's standing right beside you. It's the father and the son and the Holy Spirit all pleading your righteousness. Every single one sacrificing, going the extra mile, giving all that they have to make sure that you arrive safely at home. So when you get there, there's nothing to fear in the face of the Father. Jesus showed us what he's like. He's a good God that loves you. And when you understand that, the anger you might feel in suffering, it's gone. Or that shame you might feel, it's gone. And it's replaced by just this, I can't wait to be with my Father. I'm going to get there one day. So he's the way, he's the truth, and lastly, and this is a lot of scripture, (laughs) but he's the life that brings us the Father's help. He says this in John 14, 12. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus said to him, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will come teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Now there's 17 sermons. We're not gonna go through it all. But not only is Jesus the way that brings us to the Father's home. It's prepared a place you're gonna get there. And not only is he the truth that reveals the Father's heart, but he's the life that gives us the Father's help. He's saying that, that on that journey there to that loving Father, everything you could ever need It's yours. Not everything you could ever want, but everything that you could ever need, it is yours. Saying you have a need and you ask it in my name, I'm gonna be the yes to every single prayer you pray. You need strength in the midst of weakness, it's yours. You need light in the midst of darkness, it's yours, you got it. You need guidance when you've lost your way, it's yours. You need hope, you need endurance, you need wisdom. You need miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. It's yours. You got it. He says, not only that, but you don't, you don't have to stay alone. Like you're going to the Father's house, but we love you so much, we're going to make a little home inside you. A little sneak peek of the Father's abiding presence before you even get there. And maybe the biggest thing, which is a whole sermon series, is the Spirit. You're going to get the Spirit living in you 
The same spirit that gave me the power to rise from the grave, that's yours, you can have that. The spirit that gave me the strength to battle the temptations of, of, of Satan in the wilderness, that's yours. The same spirit that gave me, that guided me and gave me strength and gave me wisdom and reminded me of the Father's words and showed me his ways, that spirit's gonna be yours. I'm gonna give you all of that. I'm gonna give you a thousand more things. Everything that you need at the exact same moment that you need it, every single step of the way. And what's the end result? It's peace. And peace like you can't find in this world, but the peace that Jesus gives. He's the way that takes us to the Father's house. He's the truth that reveals the Father's heart. He's the life that brings us the Father's help. And when you believe that, really believe that, like that reality becomes more real than anything going on in this present world that we live, then your heart settles. I didn't go crazy out there, but it's still in here and it's anchored and it's solid. You can breathe in, you can breathe out and you can face another day and take another step on your journey to the Father's home, right? Don't let your hearts be troubled. Instead, believe. And God, believe also in me. Father, thank you for your word. For those of us suffering, for those of us about to enter a season of suffering, we don't know about it yet. Jesus, thank you that before you died, with all the worry and the angst that you could as fully God, fully man feel because you loved us. You comforted us. And our suffering will never be compared to yours. And yet you still, you still say that it's real, that it's valid. And you give us the wisdom and the tools to walk through it. So Jesus, would you turn our eyes towards you <laughs> and towards our heavenly father? Would you steady any heart that's, that's that's in turmoil right now. Spirit, would you just do a miracle? Would you still the stormy waters and let us walk out of here, not with our eyes on this present place that we live, but on you and our new home. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.